It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Hello and welcome to At Home with the Lalas, the podcast where we check in with people all around the world and see how they are dealing with lockdown in COVID-19 times. Today is the 1st of June and we're coming into the third month of our lockdown and there's a lot of unrest. We've been given confusing messages from the government. We've had government officials do the exact opposite of the advice that they've given. And even more than that, we have witnessed globally the horrific murder of George Floyd by police officials on the Friday, three days ago. And we are all dealing with that in real time now. And Laura and I decided that we stand for white silence equals white consent. And Laura and I do not consent. And we will be open and vocal about that because that is what we believe in. I feel really fortunate because today on our show, we have managed to speak to Matt Haig, who is a real hero in my eyes, and he's a best-selling author, novelist, and he really affected our lives, I would say, with his words, don't you yeah. think, La? He's very well known for exploring social anxieties and exploring many of the things that a lot of us are feeling right now. Absolutely, but also finding a resolution and yeah. uh, and showing solutions on how you can deal with them and destigmatizing the fact that this can affect men and women. He, he does have an immense power over words. And one of the things that I love about his books, which I've read, is he has really powerful quotes that speak to many people. And I thought what would be a really, really nice thing to do before we have him on our show is say each of our favorite quote from one of his books and kind of why it spoke to us. Today, right? Because initially we said we were going to choose a couple and then we just had so many each that we said, you know what, let's just choose one that resonates with mm -hmm. us today, June 1st, where things are just all over the place. Um, you go first. Yeah. So the one that I had was words just sometimes can set you free. And I love this quote because it shows the importance of words. They can set you free. They can mean so much. But it also shows you that the words that you say have power in them. And what we choose to say at the moment has meaning. Okay, so I'm going to start out with saying be kind to yourself, brackets, here's how to make it easier. How to be kinder to yourself, about yourself. And number one, 
Think of people you have loved. Think of the deepest relationships you've ever had. Think of the joy you felt when seeing those people. Think of how that joy had nothing to do with their looks, except that they looked like themselves and you were pleased to see them. And that just really goes out to all of my friends who are confused today, just just like I am, but who have struggled to understand what is going on with the world and just to be a little bit kinder to mm. ourselves. I love that. Right. Now, without further ado, let's have Matt Haig. Hi, Matt, and thank you so much for joining at home with the Lalas. I deeply, deeply appreciate it. I think it's no secret that I'm a big fan of your books and that they have massively changed my life and many, many other lives. And I want to ask you how you are. Today, I've been a bit up and down today. I mean, during lockdown as a whole, I've been, um, well, I started off really badly, like in March. I really found it bad. And I had loads of guilt that I was feeling bad because there's people who are nurses and on the front line and having it way worse and I had that sort of like privilege guilt thing and I was also having sort of panic attacks and I was in a in a really bad way and then I got into my stride a little bit and actually started to like some aspects of being in lockdown and not having too much choice and all of that today um today I don't know I just feel a bit I'm not good at Mondays and, and Mondays still feel like Mondays I don't know why but yeah, yeah. and I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not in my best. I'm not in my best sort of zone. It's a blah Monday, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So. It, it's just. I think. I feel like everything's gone on too long. The news is just coming at us from every single direction, and I don't know. You feel a little bit out of control of everything. So speaking about strides and routines and kind of your process, where have you been hunkering down during lockdown? Have you been with your family or have you been alone? What's been your kind of day to day? Um, I've been with family. I uh, live with my wife and two children and our dog, Betsy, Maltese Terrier. (laughs) (laughs) Here somewhere. Hi, Betsy. Um, And yeah, it's just been us and we live in Brighton. And um, the only time I've been leaving the house really has been to uh, walk the dog and we've gone on the occasional country walk. But it's been very, yeah, it's been very strange. We've just been staying in and yeah, I've liked liked not having to go to a gym because one of the things I have to do for my mental health is exercise. Yeah. but I never do like a gym class because I'm far too self-conscious to do gym class or to walk. I think it's the first gym class, you know, like if you walk into um, a gym class and you're the first person, especially if you're like a man and you're going to like a yoga class or something, you just feel so <laughs> Yeah. Are you home a lot? Normally, anyway, you're a writer. So do you yeah. spend periods at home a lot or do you tend to write in coffee shops, outdoors, that sort of thing? I can't do that. So I do write at home normally. And also we homeschool our kids. So really the two two biggest transitions that a lot of people have made in terms of staying in, we, we do that anyway. Mm. We, we school from home and I work from home. But having said that, I'm someone who like literally everything in my life that I look forward to mm. suddenly became illegal. So like going to the cinema, restaurants, <laughs> um, theatres, yeah. uh, mm. everything, booking holidays, 
yes you know we're pretty much feel the same way yeah. yeah we very much feel the same we both love going to the theater to restaurants i just said to laura i would just like to sit outside in a beer garden not even having a beer i don't know why just sitting yeah. there um i wanted to ask you matt it's it's the first of june it's been a shite weekend we're just coming off a horrific 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 murder in america george floyd um i don't want to just scathe over it. I I did want to ask you how you are navigating through it because we are still trying to find our way. So is there anything you could tell us in terms of social media? Well, I don't know. I mean, social media in general during any crisis is can be inflammatory and can be damaging in all kinds of ways and politically. I think that particularly depressing thing for someone my age I'm, I'm like 44 now and so I can remember like 1991 mm-hmm. and the Rodney King riots and you know the Rodney King beating and all of that and we're just this, this depressing sense of deja vu and that nothing's nothing seems to be getting better things seem to actually be getting worse in lots of ways also then as sort of privileged white middle class person how do you you know, there's a sense of obligation that you have to contribute to the conversation, but then how do you contribute? And is there actually a time where you don't have to actually say something and you can actually just listen and you can absorb things? Because I think sometimes I, I rush in too much with an opinion on every single topic and feeling like I've got to have the right opinion on every single topic in real time. And I worry sometimes I don't do enough listening and I think in the, an issue like this, and certainly in issues like racism, I feel like, you know, my voice and people like me, their voices shouldn't be the first voices, you know. So it's a process and the learning curve. And I, I can remember a few years ago, I used to get so defensive, not on issues of race, but on issues of privilege. And I think I've learned so much because I I used to have this thing like you know like I was suicidal for years I was in pain and I used to feel like it was a threat to me if people were saying oh you you you're privileged you're in a lucky position because I used to think well I'm in pain and then you know I, I I just cringe so much at how I used to be um sometimes on this topic so I'm always very careful now to to learn and absorb and let other voices come first and echo their voices rather than actually add my own voice necessarily you know what I mean yeah also you have helped me a lot with your book um that is on on a personal matter and I I will discuss this also on this podcast Mm. because I think it fits in and um I wanted to ask you Really, because for me, I'm very much struggling with what to put out there on Twitter. And I, I'm also like, I regret it. And then I argue with people and then I don't want to. How do you, because in your book, you you kind of give some great tips, which is just to put your phone down. So do you do that? Because I don't seem to be able to do that in lockdown. I feel I'm on it all the time. I just need some tips. <laughs> I have really good phases, but to be honest, yeah, I'm the same, Laura. Through lockdown, I have regressed. I have regressed. (laughs) I have fallen off the wagon. I have, you know, you know that feeling, right, where you have your phone by your bed and then you wake up and you spend an hour and a half, like, 
either arguing with people on Twitter or scrolling through Instagram, people having a better time than you. And I've done that a lot this year. Before lockdown, I was being very good. I had my phone recharging in the kitchen overnight. Um, so I actually had to get out of bed, go downstairs, then have something to eat or drink before actually checking WhatsApp, Instagram, text yeah. messages, emails. Whereas now, I, I think because March was so, so such a sort of shock, especially as I'm a natural hypochondriac. So I found the whole coronavirus thing just terrible. And I, <laughs> so are we. And I was absolutely, so are we. I was actually, absolutely, as, as a relatively young, relatively healthy person, I was always trying to look like I was totally selflessly caring about other people. But in my own hypochondriac state, every single time I coughed, every time I had anything, I was just imagining the ventilators and in yeah, I do a Googler. Do you Google symptoms? Because yeah. that's what I do. <laughs> Stupidest thing in the world, as we as we know, <laughs> right? I know. Yeah, terrible. And I mean, I, I do that anyway. I do that normally anyway. I mean, last year I had so many things. I had cancer. I had multiple sclerosis. I had ME. I had everything. <laughs> this is not a good time for us hypochondriacs. No, that is not a not a great year for hypochondriacs or agoraphobics or people who are anxiety prone or people who find the news too much. I, I, I literally, honestly, in March, I was feeling so apocalyptic. I started growing up. We, well, me and my wife started growing our own vegetables. We got, That's nice, though. That's yeah. nice, yes. But it was because I felt like everything was going to run out of the supermarkets. We were just going to have to be like in survival mode. So, yeah, me and Andrea did that. Your wife is the one that has often told you to put your phone down. I read in the book. She's very good at that, right? Yes. As as the partner of someone who doesn't have any mental health issues, I'm, he finds it very easy to say, for instance, Lara, just put the phone down. Just don't look. What do you say to someone who, who doesn't suffer from any mental health issues? How do you explain what's going on and how do you you know I think it got to a point um recently with the mental health conversation where people were actually actively scared of so scared of saying the wrong thing that they often if it was a friend they'd often not say anything or not contact them and retreat for fear of saying the wrong thing or stigmatizing and I think it's always better to show someone that you're there and that you're listening and that you don't have the answers. And I don't think you it's even your job uh, as a friend or a partner to have the answers to everything. But I think just being a, I mean, what Andrea did for me mm. when I was suicidal in a breakdown at my very worst, I mean, I'm a sort of relative moderate nightmare anyway as a partner. But <laughs> At that point when I was absolutely, you know, it was hell on earth to live with me because I was just in, I could hardly speak. I was sort of, I was a wreck and, and hardly anyone knew about it. Um, what she did was literally listen. And like, I, she was the only person I felt like I could be myself with. So everyone else, it was a kind of act and the act was exhausting. So yeah. I just, having someone it's not about a magic ingredient of words that they say, but it's literally having someone that you don't have to wear the mask with and you can just be yourself is just so, 
so therapeutic in itself I think she sounds like an amazing woman yeah I know her just from your photographs but <laughs> she sounds amazing I wanted to go into you talking about saying the wrong thing and I was actually on your Instagram as me and Lau both <laughs> avid, avidly follow you and you were saying that people were actually getting angry at you from moving away your, from your specialty of oh, yeah. talking about depression yeah to talking about politics and the, the real things that are going on right now. Can you explain a little bit about how that happened and what you kind of felt in those yeah. moments? Well, initially it happened on Twitter. Someone said that oh, people people follow you on here um, for mental health things. They, they want comfort from you. They don't want anger or frustration or things that are stressful. And I thought it was just such a weird statement because for me, for me, people who have mental health problems, that's like a lot of people. It's like a third of people. Yeah. You know, we all have mental stress. That's everyone has that. And, and it's like this idea that there's this monolithic group of mental health people and they all need shielding and they all need inspirational <laughs> quotes like on a drip feed yeah. all yeah. the time. Sometimes you actually want to vent and to something to reflect your frustration and your anger and not everyone wants that I understand that not all the time but I'm just inherently against people policing other people's social media obviously if you're saying something hideous or offensive or dangerous then fine but I don't think that actually talking about politics or criticizing the government or doing this and that is endangering anyone it's just actually trying to stick up for things and so, yeah, that's annoying, but it's happened increasingly this year and increasingly since lockdown. I think part of it is because people are stressed and certainly a couple of months ago, everybody wanted to sort of like just go with the official narrative and just feel like people were looking after us and stuff. So anyone who was questioning that at that time came under fire and I was one of those people. What I really objected to is this idea that if you're in the field of mental health, if you've written about mental health before, you should never, ever say anything that might stress someone out or frustrate them. And it's like, you know, I didn't sign up for that. I just wrote a book about my mental health and my recovery. And I don't want to be, and my whole thing, and one of the points in the book is I don't want to be defined as like Mr. Depression. Or as, if someone's got a condition, they are not that condition. They're a fully rounded human being who's experiencing a bad thing so that is something I kind of rail against the very worst comment was when someone said that I was deliberately writing stressful things to stress people out so much they would need to buy my books about what <laughs> are you serious yeah is this recently yeah that was about I won't tell you who it was but that was no, about no, don't worry. <laughs> I do have to say, you, you made my day the other day because it was just one of those things you scroll uh, through Twitter and Trump posted, what did he post? He posted China, China and you replied, porcelain. Oh, yeah. And I just burst out. I just it burst my coffee on the table yeah. because it was just so funny, weird, funny, sad, confusing. Yeah. <laughs> but it was yeah. very funny. But it just showed how irrational how, exactly. his tweet of China yeah. was. Yeah. It, he he is I mean he's so bad in so many ways but he he is so bad for everybody's his timeline just reading it makes you palpitate and have anxiety and you just can't believe that someone this 
wrong on every level is in charge of America at this moment in time. It's like the worst possible person at the worst possible time. And watching it pour out on Twitter, yes, it, I just instinctively feel the need. I mean, I, I think I've got a bad um, ability to restrain myself on Twitter, so I will just fire it out and not. <laughs> but I want to thank you for it yeah. because it it really cheered me up because it was just no, it, it was a brilliant, it was a tweet. brilliant thing to come back on. But I did I did want to ask you because you are so truthful in your books and you're so truthful in your advice and you put a lot of your own personal experience out there, and the internet can be the wild west sometimes. Do you ever feel overexposed and feel that people uh, have feel entitled mm. to comment on very personal things that you have lived and experienced? Short answer, yes. I, I think that has definitely happened to me. There are times I find it a comfort. I find sort of sharing emotions and then other people saying, oh, yeah, that's how I feel. I find that a comfort. And I, you know, because I remember when I used to be really ill and this was going back before I was on social media, it was just so lonely, you know, loneliness was so, so intense. And like the one good thing we can all agree on on social media is that you you can find people like you. Yeah, yeah. Easier sometimes than in real life. You can actually find people anywhere in the world who are feeling things that you're feeling. And that, that you know, that shouldn't be underestimated. That is a good thing. I think when it becomes a problem, social media, it's just the sheer quantity of it and the fact that we're not all following, you know, we're not necessarily following a cross-section of people. We're following quite exceptional people a lot of the time, even like best-looking, healthiest, richest, you know, most talented, this, that and the other. But it's at the extremes of life, you know, and... And we're not just comparing ourselves to one person. We're comparing ourselves to the best bits of everybody. You know what I mean? So it's not like we've got one, one friend we're a bit intimidated by. It's like everybody. Uh, and so if you're already feeling a bit bad, there can be days when you feel, oh, I'm just useless at everything. And they're, doing, they're in a better place. I mean, one good thing about lockdown, actually, is you haven't felt like you're missing out. Yeah. So yeah. Mind you, you two, you two are, you, swank, you go to swanky parties, don't you? Yeah, yeah, we do, we DJ, and so, yeah, I'm, I miss it terribly, I'm not going to lie, I, yeah, it's a big part of my it's life. It's also a job as well, yeah. so, while we were saying, a lot of the times, you know, these glamorous parties and stuff, we're often working at, yeah. so, yeah. Um, it yeah. looks great, but yeah. we're rushing around with our headphones, right. we're stressed, we're trying to get this. Yeah. And it's like you said, social media can be deceiving. And our and in my case, especially, I curate my social media. What you see are pretty pictures. Um, I am not yet, not quite there to be completely Honest. open, but I'll get yeah. there, you know, I'll get there. Uh, I feel like you, you, you both put good stuff out there, I think so. In my terms, I yeah. against anti-Semitism, but even yeah. that. Well, oh yeah, 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 of course. As far as I'm, sort of, but I've, you I've, did a speech, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did. I do every year. Very kindly, they invite me to speak uh, because I'm a grandchild of survivors. So I, I've been very fortunate to, to be invited to speak. And um, and and unlike you, I've had to turn my comments off because. Yeah. People got into crazy fights with each other on on my timeline. <laughs> I thought. Yeah. Pressing me out to the point where. Do you know what I mean? 
Yes. Well, I've got a friend who literally spends their life on Twitter, that is a Jew, Jewish friend, and literally battling anti-Semites all the time. Yeah. On, on Twitter. It consume you because you, you, you feel like you can change people's minds or heal, you know, and, and ultimately you can't always. And you just, it, it's a never-ending supply of hatred is there if, if, if you want to sort of shine a torch on it so yeah but we heard you raise awareness and and to find a solution and also i i thought the same of your books actually i don't read your books at all as as some as as a struggle i see the struggle but i find the recovery and the solution in it so that's how i've and i came across your book on an airport um in germany (laughs) and i just picked it up because it was a pretty cover and i kind of liked the the i liked the way it was presented and little did i know how much it changed my life so it's really yeah. true. Well, I really appreciated you did a reading. I think you put it on social media. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted I wanted to ask you because during lockdown, I feel like there is a pressure, especially for creatives, writers, mm. to be extremely productive. This is the time where you're gonna finish your novel, where you're gonna make your best mix if you're DJing or whatever it is that you yeah. do. Do you have any advice for people that are struggling with that? Because I'm 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 struggling with it a bit. Well, I saw at the start, a lot of people were giving out tips on how to write your novel, as if everyone's going to be (laughs) starting to write their novel now. And literally any writer I knew or followed on social media, no one was doing anything. You know, they were like, really, to to, to write a novel, to to start writing a novel, that's the hardest bit of the process. Your head needs to be so clear and you need to be so focused. And it was a really... I think this has been a very bad time to get creative in that sense. Mm. Um, I can understand that we've got a lot of time on our hands and I understand that it's nice to do stuff. And I've been trying, you know, my, my, my kids are learning the piano at the moment and I've been trying their little piano app quite a bit just right. to distract me. So there's time to do things. But I think, yeah, I think there's, you shouldn't force anything with creativity anyway and I, I I even found it hard let alone to write I found it hard to read um, yeah. recently uh-huh. I found it very hard to concentrate on a book from start to finish I've dipped into things and I've read articles and I've read little bits but I've got a pile of about eight books by my bed none of which I've actually read. I normally read so much and during lockdown I cannot even finish half a book I, I don't get it. You've gone through a few Netflix shows. Yeah. That's, that's, that's yeah, but, yeah, but not reading. I found it very yeah. hard. Yeah, I think it's hard to have the attention when our attention is being pulled in so many different areas and the smartphone is so addictive at the moment. And I don't know. I, I, I feel also watching TV. I have to watch a very certain type of a show on Netflix or something that, that actually feels... You know, if I'm watching something that's contemporary and realistic and it's set pre-2020, it just sort of feels wrong. So I think one of the reasons why um, Tiger King was so popular, you know, the Tiger King. We loved it. Yeah, I think because it felt those people were so extreme, it actually felt they were just about extreme enough to match, match the news. Every single person in that show was so extreme. 
we're well obsessed with it, weren't yeah, we? Yeah, that's actually really that's interesting. interesting. We don't want anything that reflects our reality that doesn't seem poignant to what we're doing. We want the extremeness or yeah. the kind of vacantness yeah. or something to to yeah. take our focus away. Yeah. You know, I wanted to ask something. Um, You can answer it if you feel comfortable. Lara and I were actually literally discussing it just before we called you. We've been invited to quite a few marches mm. over the next few days and we've been incredibly torn on whether to go or not to go because we want to support our friends but we are still technically in a lockdown and Lara and I have been isolating together because neither one of us has family here and we're, she's living with my husband and myself. Take What's your take it. on it because we we are very in between. Yeah. yeah well I'm not in London I don't think actually much is happening in Brighton okay so we'd actually have the travel dimension as well mm. um i i am i rarely go on any march because i'm just really bad at crowds so just selfishly speaking i'm really bad i i said on twitter today i said why can't we protest via zoom <laughs> yeah I saw but yeah. i'm just like you know you, you would imagine in that digital age would be a way of sort of destabilizing society digitally mm. in a way I feel guilt about not going, but I'm probably not going because we've just been on total, we're on total lockdown. Andrea's mum is on one of the people on the vulnerable list and we're wanting to see her as soon as we possibly can. So we've just promised to sort of be hermetically sealed mm-hmm. in our little bubble. I think, I don't know if I lived in London or central London, it might be different, but um, yeah, at the moment, no, I haven't got plans. Are you, are you going to do it? We're discussing, We're discussing this. I, I'm in two minds. If this was in, a, if, if this was not in a lockdown, I would be there in one second. Yeah. And it's something that yeah. we, we both feel very strongly about. And I really do want to be there. But then am I doing more harm than good by participating in a really large group gathering that could revert us all back into yeah. serious, uh, serious health hazards and back into a lockdown? Yeah. I don't know. We don't know. We were literally we're in the, we're in the middle of discussing it. We will let you know how we get on with it yeah. next day. I think there's no right answer on that one. I think there's absolutely no right answer. It's yeah. just it's the first dilemma because all all through lockdown I've been saying oh no mass gatherings are worth it. You know Cheltenham races shouldn't have happened. I mean, happened. Yeah. But those protests against coronavirus a month ago in America are saying oh how selfish are they? And then suddenly this happens and it just suddenly is a curveball isn't it that just like well exactly. obviously yeah. you can't those people not to protest because you know it's still a life and death issue yeah. matt thank you so so thank much you. from the bottom of Before my heart finish i want to ask about yeah. your, yeah, you've got book. a new book coming out i do have a new book yes it's called the midnight library it is out in august it is a novel but it, i think it's most close to my sort of non-fiction self-help books because it's about a woman between life and death who finds herself in a library where every single book on the shelf is a different version of her life if she had lived it a different way. So she's a suicidal woman who gets the chance to see how her life would have turned out. And then she learns life lessons and appreciates things. When is it coming out? That is coming out August the uh, 13th. So it's good. I'm not super 
13th, yes. I can't yes. wait. And I very much look forward because last time I stood in line when you were in London signing books and I didn't get to get to you. Oh, really? It was so packed. Where was that? I think it was, you know, that shop um, just off Oxford Street. And yeah. we're doing, this is actually a few years ago. Oh, and okay. I thought, yeah. I'm actually going to go to this signing. My mum is a writer as well. And I just thought I really want my copy signed because it made a big difference. Yeah. So hopefully when all this is over, maybe a year from now, um, <laughs> you get to sign my copy. <laughs> that would be really nice. It's so nice chatting to you both. Thank you, Laura. Thank, Thank you, so Laura. Thank, Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Have a lovely evening and Thank say hi to your wife and kids. What an interview. Thank you so much, Matt, for agreeing to come on the show. I I I have to say they say don't meet your heroes in real life. But this wasn't the case. This wasn't the case. He turned out to be even greater than I could have ever imagined, if I'm uh, honest. <laughs> it was it was fantastic. And I I loved how down to earth he was and I loved the advice that he gave because do you know what? We're all figuring it out right now. Completely. And this is unknown territory. Yeah. And I loved that he kind of acknowledged that. Thank you so much, Matt Haig. Thank and you, Matt. Uh, we will be back next week with another episode of At Home with the Lalas. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.